Hello and welcome to the Nature of Nantucket podcast. I'm Rich Blundell, the scientist in residence at the Mariah Mitchell Association. In this final part of my conversation with the molecular biologist, Dr. Ursula Goodenough, we explore the human dimensions of the story of nature. The long-awaited second edition of Ursula's beloved book, The Sacred Depths of Nature, is being released by the University of Oxford Press in early 2023. You can learn more at sacreddepthsofnature.com. I begin today by asking Dr. Goodenough about how the anthropological part of the great story began. It's not like we know everything. There's lots more to dig up and uncover, but it's perfectly clear that about 300,000 years ago, the first Homo sapiens showed up. We have a fossil and all the DNA points to that as being when uh, Homo sapiens, as opposed to others in the hominin lineage, like Australopithecus and Homo erectus and everything, uh, but Homo sapiens, um, first ones that can be called that on the basis of their anatomy were Africans. Mm-hmm. All of the evolution that Homo sapiens then underwent, where to my mind the important thing that happened was that we developed children's brains who could learn symbolic language from their cultures, because the cultures are the vehicles of the language, and then participate in culture by using language, and in the course of that, develop the ability to tell stories and to uh, remember in stories and so on. All the things that we humans do that are unique, um, all happened in Africa by Africans. And it's also now clear that it wasn't just a particular place in Africa, like Ethiopia, modern Ethiopia or something like that. The Africans uh, were migrating all over the continent. They were setting up different tribes and different in-groups and stuff, but the whole of Africa had this, these basic uh, modern human um, gifts. And about 100,000 years ago, the first of these started migrating first east and then to Europe 50,000 years ago or something. Um, but the take home there is that every human on the planet has a very recent ancestor who had black skin. Let me run by you because I, I actually teach this part of human history in a, in a, um, a lecture that I call Earthling Theory. Which is to say okay. that yes, yes, um, you know, early hominids, Sahelanthropus, Australopithecines, the earliest that we could, you know, that we could call hominids, evolved in Africa, and they, for reasons that we, you know, could talk about, they moved through the habitats, and so, for whatever reason, whether it's food resources or territorial, or for whatever reason, we've got these hominids, which have these categorically higher developed brains. In other words, they just have more complexity in the brain case. And they start <laughs> they start interacting with multiple habitats as opposed to just one or two. They're, they're less selective. And so they're having this diverse ecological interaction with different habitats. And in each case, 
they're gaining intelligence about how to survive in these habitats. And if you do that over a course of several hundred thousand millions of years, that particular these lineages of that that use these complex brains start to develop emergent intelligences, things like you're talking about uh, symbolic language and storytelling and these. And so you get to a point where it reaches a kind of threshold, or at least it's highly developed, and then it leaves the continent of Africa, and it continues to spread around around the globe. In each case, it's having interactions with every habitat that this earth has to offer, not just African habitats, but Eurasian and European, and you know, but every habitat that the earth has to offer is now endowing what, what you, as you say, gifts upon the intellect and the and the emotional sort of infrastructure of, of this lineage of apes. Uh, and then it eventually art emerges from that. And the, the game goes on from there. Like that we, we have this incredibly accelerated period of development you know, that we eventually call history, human history. Anyway, the point there, I guess, is that I'm, what I'm saying is that all of these endowments that we're talking about, these high abstract sort of ways of thinking and storytelling and kinship structures and, and governance and the coordination, all that stuff, those are actually gifts from the earth itself because it was the earth that taught us all these skills, all these, this matrix of skills that then new emergent skills could come from. And I think that we've somehow forgotten that or that's kind of somehow left out of the story that, it wasn't just an intelligence that was emanating out of a particular species. It was actually the earth was teaching that species all the way, all along the way. And now we inherit, we inherit that as everything that we are. In fact, it, it, what it means to be a human is actually to be of the earth, to be an earthling, because it's the earth that has endowed us with everything that we are, everything, including the biological infrastructure that we were talking about earlier. But now it's, something else. It's a, it's an emotional infrastructure and a creative infrastructure. It's all that makes us human. And I don't know. Okay. Why so I'm, let's, let's, let's call that infrastructure culture. I mean, I think it's yeah, a useful I, word. Yeah. Um, I, think the, I and, think the expression of it is culture. Yes. Well, I mean, I, th I think culture, there's a really important thing for me at least to remember, which is that, you know, languages, for example, are not inborn. Um, we learn them mm. from our cultures. We come, children become language ready, is I think mm -hmm. a useful term. Mm -hmm. So you can take a bonobo ape and you can give it computer key keyboards and you can you know work with it a long time and it can come up with some of the ways that we use language. But children just already mm -hmm. there, you know, and all they and then. The language that they happen to use uh, is the one that's in their particular culture, um, in Chinese versus English versus whatever. Um, so I think it's the same kind of thing with habitats, in that my I don't think that a baby is born with understanding of how to live in a tree versus how to live in a savanna, how how to live at the seashore. I think that the culture that that child is born into um, has accumulated information about how these habitats work and which ones um, 
you know, require that you put on um, uh, furs and keep yourself warm and which ones uh, require that you drink a lot of water and so on, that the what we bring to the earth as humans is this incredible and increasingly complicated and often extremely wrong and uh, messed up thing that we call culture that is how we get our information. So when we then talk about how are we going to save the planet, it really has a lot to do with how to uh, tune up our cultures <laughs> so that they include these understandings. Mm. Yeah, everything you're saying is really, that's really beautiful. And I do think it's consistent with like what I think and what I, what I teach. Um, Good. The, the fact that we inherit, you know, there is the infrastructure, but then there's also the things that we inherit by virtue of being immersed in a particular habitat or culture. And, and I like that. Right. The, but, the, but, 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 but we can move. You know, we can shift. Yeah, we can move. Um, yes, <laughs> uh, um, and we and we is, can niche construct. We can construct absolutely. new niches I mean, that shape us too. Yeah, we're like beavers. <laughs> I, I don't know if you don't know the beaver analogy, but a beaver uh, constructs its own niche and then uh, has evolved to fit into that niche. Exactly. Um, yeah, that so, that is okay. philosophical niche construction. That's what I'm talking about. Yes, yeah. yeah, exactly. And uh, so and spiders, webs, et cetera. So um, the, the other thing that we bring is that we come from an intensely social lineage. So uh, it's already the case that the primates writ large and the apes in particular, um, you know, have all sorts of things that are inborn um, about uh, nurturing offspring and uh, uh, forming um, social groups that work <laughs> uh, based on hierarchy, based on friendship, based on all sorts of ways that these social things work. And you see this uh, alive and well in our primate and great ape cousins. So what we, we do have um, some starting material in the social domain. Mm. which is very good, which is cool. So I'm sure you've noticed that this is very hard work. Like this, these are things that are, you know, first you have to know the science and you have to work to get the best science that you can. And then it's hard work to try and articulate it and to, to bring it all together into co a coherent narrative, basically, that, that can mm -hmm. have meaning and can serve to ameliorate whatever problems we're facing. Um, mm -hmm. But it sounds doesn't it sounds really exciting to me? It's still hard. You know, I still think we both struggle to communicate this, but I don't know. I can't well, think I of mean, anything more exciting. I've been and doing it for a long time. So obviously I'm just sitting here and this stuff is bleeping out of my mouth. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, for a beginner, um, you know, there's, there's lots of stuff to take in. And um, the fact, that I can do it as fluently as I can only means that I've been doing it for for many decades. Um, but it's certainly within the grasp of everybody and, uh, you know, gets us back to good old science education. 
uh, and uh, how it's being done around the world or being done badly around the world. Um, and the whole problem that I see that, I mean, there, there are lots of wonderful science curricula out there now in the public schools in the United States and elsewhere, um, and dedicated teachers and all sorts of stuff. And so many people just say, oh, it's boring. I don't like to do it. It's too hard. Um, it's just for the nerds um, and get me out of here. And so that I see as a big impediment. I'm going to push back on this a little bit to say that, yeah. it, yes, of course, science education and having studied the philosophy of science, I, like, I, I understand the, where science's strengths are and then where its, its weaknesses are. But this, what we're talking about sounds like more than just science education for science sake. This is about understanding science for something much more profound than just scientific knowledge. I'm not saying, of course exactly. I'm not, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater here and say we don't need scientific knowledge. Of course that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that there is a, there's a transcendent wisdom embedded within that science. Mm -hmm. And if we, so it's not just about making better scientists, it's about making us understand the science oh, no. in a more meaningful way. Absolutely. When I look at the curricula, I mean, there are months where they have all this thing about, you know, the scientific method and you're supposed to do this and that and the other thing to mm. create hypotheses and all this kind of stuff that puts everybody to sleep. And it's completely ridiculous because all humans um, practice science all the time. You know, mm. what's wrong with my car? Why doesn't it start? Oh, better check the gas can the gas tank um a meter says it's full maybe the meter's busted i mean you know we do this all the time it's 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 a it's a given and so the question is you know what what we do then is ask questions about how the world works not just how about how our car works and how it came to be and, and how we and how I we totally, fit in and how we fit in exactly and um when uh, to my mind, if science classes included these sort of kind of meaning systems, as it were, spiritual uh, dimensions, um, people would be much more interested in them. They become fully as interesting as, as a novel um, or human history, where you could at least see kings and queens marching around and doing things. Um, so I think I'm all about getting science education to be more along the lines that we've been talking about for the last hour. Um, mm -hmm. It's just kind of hard to do because there are people with on school boards with very keen noses who understand what this means. <laughs> uh, that it is a religious orientation and they are very quick to flip to separation of church and state and we should not be talking about this in public schools and yada yada. So. Well, hopefully some of that hard, hard edge has been softening, you know, in, in the last I decade hope so. or so. Yeah. I hope so, at least in some schools. I mean, it's certainly there, you know, Montessori, for example, Rita Montessori is all about the story and teaching it to little kids. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, um, there are places where you can find it, but um, there's still much work to be done. You know what, we, one thing that we didn't talk about, which I, if you don't mind, and I'll, 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 I'll splice it in earlier if it works, but 
this idea of Mariah Mitchell. I don't know if, what you know about Mariah Mitchell or yeah, yeah, and, the, yeah. And, and just the fact that you live on an island, you know, and you're a woman of science and a woman of spirituality. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of really, you know, interesting correlations there that. Uh, I don't feel like I was, you know, a vineyarder the way Mariah Mitchell was an Nantucketer. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It sounds like island life suits you, though, and uh, I think there's definitely. <laughs> oh, some, I love it. There's something about that that fits. <laughs> but what what. How about um, your thoughts on Mariah Mitchell, or if you if you if you have any? Oh, she's she's terrific. I do you know Maria Popo, Popova's book? Oh yeah, yep, yep. I'm yeah. Her. Okay, I'm so uh, you know that's that's the most my most recent reading about Mariah Mitchell. But I thought she did a beautiful job of you know giving the essence of this lady and uh, her life and her father and all of that was it was just wonderful. So yeah, I mean she was she was interested in what's out there in the cosmos and I are much more focused on on biological critters um but we certainly have the same spirit yeah and it's one of the things that I do while I'm here is I that I think is part of my job here is to elevate her relevance you know I think uh -huh. I have I just happen to believe that her wisdom and her her character and her integrity is actually more relevant today than it was when she was, you know, when she was prominent. Mm. So, um, well, um, I think it's it's always been prominent, <laughs> and and yeah. and add your, her curiosity. I mean, curiosity is is something that is just so big in all of that I've heard about her, and mm. something that uh, my friends tell me I am well endowed with as well. Uh, and all scientists are. I mean, that's what that's what we do. We're curious about something. We're curious about what we don't understand. Um, yeah, I, I know you need. To, I know you need to go, but I have just one last question, and that is: go. How can what you're doing, your work, save the world? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, the big fantasy is that a religious naturalist orientation would be adopted globally because it is everybody's story. It is true for everybody. Uh, this is not the case for any other story with which I'm familiar. And we need such a story to um, get us back on track and figure out how to take care of the place. And um, so uh, whether that happens or not, I'll, I'll be long gone before I know. But um, it it's what I plan to do for the rest of my days on Earth to try to move things in that direction. Mm. It's a noble thing to do to to plant trees, um, the shade of yep. which you will not be able to be able to experience. But but we get we do get to live in that story though, right? I mean, every day Absolutely. we get to feel the gratitude, feel the joy, and the awe and the amazement at 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 what it is. So it's yep. I don't think we're bereft. <laughs> so absolutely not. No, I, I'm I'm delighted in my context. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Ursula. Um, okay. I wanted to just thank you again because you've really been an inspiration for me in my, in my whole career. And you know, every, so much of what I'm doing now is, is largely because of, of, of your writing and just your your commitment and your courage. And um, I just, I just again, I wanted to say thank you because you've just been a big, great inspiration for me. So thank you. You are hugely welcome.